there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. And our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Indeed, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for all God's creation. Thanks be to God. Amber, for those that don't know me, and I serve as a pastoral intern here at the local church. We hope that you gain three things from today to feel affirmed, to feel anchored, and to feel empowered. And it is such a joy to be preaching here again this morning. A few weeks ago, I traveled with my class to the North Carolina Correctional Institution for Women in Raleigh, a prison of all custody levels and the primary housing facility for women in North Carolina. 
It also houses all of the female death row inmates in North Carolina, as well as serves as an intake facility for every new female inmate. As a visitor, I cycled through security, not much unlike going through TSA at an airport. I left my phone and my smartwatch in the car and entered the prison with just my journal and a book, Convict Christ by Jen Soaring. And after security, 13 of my classmates and I walked to the auditorium and learning facility on the campus. It felt dystopian to be walking around the chain-linked fences and the high barbed wire after being frisked during security, ensuring I wasn't bringing in any additional items. I'll be honest, I was nervous to go to the prison that night. I wasn't sure what to expect. All I had to go off of was how media portrays what prison is like and who we've put there. Yet all of the docu documentaries, podcasts, movies, memoirs, books, what have you, could not have prepared me for the women I met that night in the auditorium. If I had forgotten about the security entrance and the frisk, the fences and barbed wire, the background check and the Prison Rape Elimination Act training, you could have convinced me I was in a rundown recreational center. Old gym floors that gleamed in the light, cinder blocks full of years of paint, and an old theater stage that I'm sure has years of mothballs as well. And if I had forgotten about all of that, I would have simply thought I was in a women's book club or a women's church group, meeting on an average Thursday night to discuss Convict Christ. Perhaps not all that unlike our local tables or our local book club. It would have been a gathering of women seeking to deepen their faith through the lens of carceral hermeneutics, reading the Bible with the incarcerated in mind. We are doing so with the help of Convict Christ, where Soaring tells stories from within prison, offering scripture throughout, as he himself serves a life sentence in Virginia. And so here I am in a room full of women, some residents in Raleigh and those from beyond the barbed wire, all who have walked different lives and yet find themselves in this auditorium for two hours of their life. And so today I offer a look at Luke chapter nine with carceral hermeneutics, reading the scripture passage with those incarcerated in mind and the women I met that night. But first, will you join me in prayer? O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts this day. Awaken us to the freedom, liberation, and hope of Jubilee around us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your eyes. In the name of the Son of Man who was arrested, convicted, and executed, amen. And so we find ourselves today within this low role of Luke, within Jesus' ministry in Galilee, as he confirms to Peter that, yes, I am the Son of Man, God's Messiah. Yet Christ warns Peter immediately not to tell anybody, much like someone who maybe has broken the law would. Maybe we can imagine Jesus saying, no, Peter, don't tell anyone. I will be looked at differently. I'll carry connotations I don't wish to. Please, Peter, it's for my own safety that you don't tell anybody. And then after, we also hear Jesus predict his death. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. 
and on the third day be raised to life. Within his prediction of death, I want to highlight three aspects. First, Jesus suffers. While the Gospel of Luke is not necessarily the one of the suffering servant in the Gospel of Mark, Christ still acknowledges that his death will not be quick. Rather, leading up to his death and his suffering, rather leading up to his death enduring, he will suffer. Suffering paired with Christ's preferential usage of the Son of Man, as opposed to Peter claiming that he was the Messiah, offers us a glimpse of Christ's humanity. The Son of Man will suffer like any other human being. Some will translate Son of Man as the human one, and so we could think of the human one will suffer. Second, Jesus is pursued. The people after him are the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. The authority in the land of Jerusalem is after Jesus. The Jewish ruling body, the Sanhedrin, the priests in charge of temple worship. There's an intersection here of both religious authority and governmental authority, narrowing in on Christ. The government and the synagogue will be against Christ, rejecting him and casting him as other in this Roman world. And third, Jesus is killed. The Greek word for killed here takes its form in apokteno. This taken life can occur through many means like war or suicide, accidents and epidemics. But in Christ's case, it can also take its means through execution. The government and the synagogue team up and took this case to the Roman courts. And in the Roman world, the means for state-sanctioned execution was crucifixion. Jesus predicted his suffering and his pursuit and his death through state-sanctioned violence. And due to his otherworldliness, due to his threat to the system, Jesus will suffer at the hands of the authority after a pursuit, which will eventually lead to his murder in a state-sanctioned execution. I think back to my Thursday evening with both women serving shorter sentences and women serving life sentences, those who have been residents at the correctional institution for decades, and perhaps some have been there just a few years. And I think of their suffering, of the authorities pursuing them, and the impending death to those serving life sentences and those on death row. It's an uncanny comparison when you take the time to step back and consider how different populations have so often lived the life of Christ, however not intending to. To contemplate a carceral interpretation of Christ's life paints us a new picture, one where we consider a population that perhaps doesn't cross our minds all that much. And so after predicting his death, Christ says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Take up their cross. Jesus is asking us if we are willing to follow him to the death. And at this moment in scripture, Christ's disciples don't know that Jesus will be crucified, but yet Christ is asking his disciples to follow him to that crucifixion. In turn, Christ is asking us to follow him toward that state-sanctioned execution. But America doesn't use crucifixion for state-sanctioned execution. To situate ourselves today, to read this word with the incarcerated in mind, perhaps Christ is asking us to take up our needle 
as we lead ourselves to state-sanctioned execution via lethal injection, or most recently take up your gas mask as the state of Alabama just experimented with nitrogen gas on a death row inmate, murdering Kenneth Smith on January 25th. We no longer have a grasp on crucifixion as we don't live in the Roman Empire, but we do know lethal injection and we do know nitrogen gas. The people at the North Carolina Correctional Institution for Women know lethal injection. That's their reality. Now I know Christ is not literally asking us to lead ourselves to the death sentence, but again, this parallel of lives between Jesus and the incarcerated is strange, it's mysterious. And so Christ says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I heard a brief portion of one of the women's stories that Thursday night, a story that required her to lose her life in order to save it. She spoke of her past as a victim of domestic violence, but this isn't just a story of one person at a particular time but it is a story of 70 to 90% of incarcerated women in America having been victims of domestic violence in their life. 70 to 90%. And now the incarcerated has lost their lives as they spend either a large portion, if not the rest of their lives, living within chain-linked fences and barbed wire. Just as Christ embodied the life of a prisoner predicting his own arrest and state-sanctioned execution, he too was surrounded by barbed wire of the crown of thorns that Jesus wore during his execution. And so here I am, after being in this auditorium with some of the most lost women I'm sure I will come across. Yet the way they spoke of their faith in that place built of cinder blocks and barbed wire is a living embodiment of losing their life to save their life with a faith so intimately connected to Jesus Christ. Throughout our time in Luke, we have often spoken of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, there's a big release for land and for the economy and for people. Does our Jubilee include the incarcerated, the 1,300 women living in Raleigh surrounded by barbed wire that so eerily resembles Christ's crown of thorns? Brent said a few weeks ago, we cannot know Jesus apart from Jubilee, and today I'd add to that, just as we cannot know Jesus apart from Jubilee, we can't know Jesus without knowing the incarcerated. Follow me, Jesus says. Where are we going, Jesus? Well, he told us back in Luke chapter 4, as he recites Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There is no jubilee without Jesus, and there is no jubilee without freedom for the prisoners. And if Jesus is calling us to follow him, we must be willing to learn from and hear those whose life replicates Christ's at the pinnacle of suffering, at the pursuit of the authorities, and at the moment of state-sanctioned execution. But it strikes me how just one month ago, before I enrolled in this class and visited the prison, I never would have read scripture with the incarcerated in mind. 
It has taken both exposure and education and drawing near to this population. Perhaps before I would have thought out of sight, out of mind, as no one I know is imprisoned, and so I thought it didn't affect me, but I was wrong. It affects me and it affects us because the Jubilee that Jesus is calling for includes freedom of the prisoners. Jubilee breaks down this notion of out of sight and out of mind, and Jubilee reaches out to those society has deemed as disposable. Jubilee sees everybody. And so I ask you today, what is the difference between the women at the North Carolina Correctional Institution for Women in Raleigh and Jesus Christ? The life which consists of an arrest, a conviction, and for some, a state-sanctioned execution, a life of suffering, pursuit, and death. And so here is my prayer for you, is that the word of God may widen our understanding of what it means to look like Jesus. It widens who is included in Jesus' mission, and it widens who needs Jubilee the most. I pray that after today you encounter scripture differently, specifically with the incarcerated in mind, and I pray that as we approach Lent and Easter, that when you see the crown of thorns adorned by Jesus, you may think of others surrounded by barbed wire. So may it be. Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.